Hey, I want to welcome you. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and we are excited uh, that you chose to be with us this morning. Um, you decided to get out and uh, get out of bed this morning, which I know with the dark skies and the cold and the snow, uh, it was really tempting to stay in bed. Um, even as your pastor, I wake up sometimes on Sunday mornings. And I'm like, man, it would feel so nice to keep sleeping. So I get it right when it's cold outside, it's dark outside. Um, but thank you for being here. And we're excited. So we are continuing our series in the Gospel of John. And so uh, John was a direct disciple and eyewitness of Jesus and his ministry and his miracles and his teaching and writes for us an account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And so as a church, we're just systematically walking through uh, the Gospel of John, taking a look at what it is that John uh, wants to communicate, what he wants to share with us, and, and what kind of impact that has for us uh, for the 21st century? What does it matter uh, what Jesus did and taught 2,000 years ago? Now, I don't know how many of you have worked very many jobs. Um, some in this room, probably you've had just a couple jobs that you've been with for a long time. Um, some of us, we've had a lot of jobs. I have had a lot of jobs. And uh, not because I quit and I'm unsatisfied all the time. I'm just always looking for opportunities. Um, and I've done some weird stuff. Uh, I was a licensed forklift instructor for a while. Um, I once worked for a trucking company when I was 16. Why they hired me, I have no idea. But um, this big, huge car lot, used car lot, it was like a mile wide, a mile long. It was unbelievably big. It was actually a, a used car auction. And so um, I worked for a particular trucking company, and they would, people would come and buy all these used cars, and they'd have to hire our company to transport them. So all these used car dealers from all over the country would come and buy these cars at auction. Well, there, um, there were the truck drivers who pulled up who didn't really want to waste the time going to find all these cars and loading them onto the, onto the truck. So they paid 16-year-old Adam to go find the car and drive it up um, to bring it to the trucker. And so I would show up after school, and they would literally give me a list of VIN numbers and makes and models of vehicles. And I usually had about three hours to get all my cars identified and pulled up somewhat close. So when the truck, the, you know, the 18-wheeler got up there, he could then load up all these cars really quickly and get on with his life uh, and his job. But sometimes I'd show up and they'd be like, all right, your trucker will be here at 8.30 p.m. and you have four cars to give him. And I got paid by the car. I didn't get paid by the hour. Um, but I had to stay there. So what does a 16-year-old boy do when he has a square mile full of vehicles unlocked with the keys in the, in the ignition? Yep, that's what a 16-year-old guy does uh, when he's got four hours to kill. And so we would burn rubber through these parking lots. Um, never had a wreck. I don't know how, but we did a lot of silly things. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many jobs you've been at, but every job has generally has an orientation. Some of them are really good. You get to sit down with maybe the CEO, have lunch, figure out about the mission and the vision of your company. Some orientations are terrible because you sit down in front of a small TV screen and watch a video that was made in the 80s. Um, I once worked for a place called Brahms, which if you're not from Oklahoma and Texas, then you don't even know what Brahms is, but they serve the greatest ice cream on the face of the planet. I'm just telling you. It's the best. And so I used to work for Brahms when I was a teenager, too. And um, I don't know if anybody knows what square dipping is. 
probably not, which means you are not an ice cream dipping professional like I am. Um, and so I just remember sitting in this small closet with this bad TV watching these terrible 1980s videos of people showing you how to scoop ice cream. We've all been through orientation. Um, we've all been through introductions. You know, if you went to college, if you have an associate's or bachelor's, then you had to take introductory courses. Uh, I teach at Colorado Christian University, and I just got through teaching uh, a course called Introduction to the Bible, and it was only five weeks long. Now, if you've been going to this church long enough, you know I can't teach through two paragraphs in five weeks, but I managed to cover the whole Bible in five weeks. Now, when you go through orientation, you go through an introduction, you have the understanding, the expectation that not everything is going to be covered. You're going to get a good foundation for moving forward. In this five-week course I just finished teaching, uh, we certainly didn't cover every person, every story in the Bible, but we got a general overview of the Bible and how it works and how it's organized and how the story works together. Um, A book that's written over a period of 1,500 years by more than 40 authors on more than three different continents um, in three different languages, but it, it works together and forms one whole story. When you're in an orientation for work, You get a great foundation for what you can expect moving forward, but they can't cover every detail, right? Uh, Well, the Gospel of John, especially this first chapter, is somewhat of an introduction that that John is about to introduce a whole bunch of topics for us that he understands he can't cover immediately right now, but he's just going to introduce them for us today. And what you'll find out is that we continue to walk through the Gospel of John and study the Gospel of John. These themes are going to come out over and over and over. Last week, in just the first three verses of the Gospel of John, we made some uh, observations about who was Jesus, who is Jesus. And today, we're going to make some a, a little more personal, maybe a little more applicable observations about why it matters who Jesus is and what implications it has for our lives. So before we dive in, I just want to remind everyone, I want us to remind ourselves what exactly the Gospel of John is about. And he tells us towards the end of his writing in chapter 20, starting in verse 30, and it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may know that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John makes it very clear why he's writing. He wants us to believe in who Jesus was and is. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, that He's the promised sent one. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's actually a title that means anointed one. Uh, And so this is someone they had been expecting for a long, long time. God had made a promise. They were waiting for God to fulfill that promise. And Jesus is that fulfillment, that Jesus is the Son of God, that, that not only is He coming to fulfill the promise, but as the Son of God, He has the power and authority to be able to do it. And, uh, and this is what John wants us to see. And so every, we're going to review those verses a lot um, over the coming weeks and months as we study and walk through the Gospel of John. And uh, to be constantly reminded and refreshed of what it is that John is trying to do for us as he writes. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to John chapter 1. Now, we have Bibles spread out. Feel free to grab one of those. Um, If you have your phone or tablet and you have the Bible app, uh, 
I encourage you, open up the Bible app. That makes it really easy to find your way, uh, and you can do that there. And we're also going to have uh, some of the verses on the screen. The main ones will be on the screen. There may be a few that uh, we reference or mention that won't be on the screen, but for the most part, they will. And so we're going to jump into John chapter 1. And I'm going to actually start in verse 1, even though that's what we talked about last week. It'll just kind of set the stage for us as we move forward. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And here are our verses uh, beginning for today. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I'm going to skip down to verse 9. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of Of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so, if you were here with us last week, we we talked about how chapter one is pretty deep. It's heavy. Um, There's a lot of poetic language. Uh, John is a really skilled writer and sets a great stage for us. It's a great orientation for all of us to introduce some topics to us to get us prepared for what the rest of the book is going to flesh out and explain more. So there's a couple of things that we need to know. First of all is we're going to spend more time in chapter one than we probably will in any other chapter in the book. As a matter of fact, um, we'll spend a number of weeks just in chapter one. And then once we get out of chapter one, things will actually start moving pretty quickly because John is very repetitive and we can move through it fairly fast. He's going to introduce a lot of ideas and topics to us in chapter one that we'll get a better understanding as we move forward. Now, I said to you that I skipped a few verses. I skipped three, verses 6, 7, and 8. And the reality is I have a limited amount of time because we would all like to eat lunch before 3 o'clock. And so I can't teach everything that I would love to uh, as we move forward uh, except to I can say, hey, we'll come back and pick that up next week. So I'm telling you now that verses 6, 7, and 8 are exactly where we're going to be next week. So I know we're skipping them today, and next week we'll pick them up, and I will next week kind of show you why I think John um, chose to write what he did in those three verses there. It seems like a bit of an interruption, but I don't think it is, and we'll talk about that next week and why he may have done that. But for today, we're going to move past those three verses, uh, and we'll hit those three and maybe why they're there next week. And so here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to make some observations for you in this text in verses four and five and then nine through 13. I just want to look at a few things, explain a few things that I think will help make it a little more clear. And then we'll talk about what are the applications? What does it mean for us today? uh, What can we take from this part of the text? And so in verse four, it says in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, As we talked about last week, John um, is using a bit of poetic language here and has yet to use the name of Jesus. He hasn't even mentioned the name of Jesus. It won't come until, I believe, verse 17 it is. Um, But he's building this case and building this understanding for us 
uh, of who Jesus is. He's just doing it in a very creative way. And, and he begins with this idea of in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, uh, what we're going to see in just a minute uh, is that John is talking more than just about physical life, the life that you and I have and recognize uh, on any given day, the life that we see in our neighbors, the life we see in people around us. Um, I think John is speaking much bigger than just ordinary life that you and I tend to think of. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes and why we think that. Um, and, and so as we move forward, um, John says, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This word here, overcome, uh, is an interesting word. It depends on what translation of the Bible you're holding. Uh, the ones that we provide are English Standard Version. It's what I teach out of, but some of you may have a preferred version different than that. You might have the New International or New King James or Old King James. Um, there's a number of them that you could have that are great translations that I, if you like it, I encourage you to use it and read it. Um, but some of yours may have a different word there. Some of yours, depending on what you have, may, says, may, may, may say, and the darkness has not comprehended it. And here's an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting dilemma uh, that we face. And you and I are in the same boat as even the Greek scholars who are translating this from the original Greek into English for us today. Is that this word that is translated either overcome or comprehend can mean both of those things. As a matter of fact, it is almost identical to our English word grasp. So if I say that uh, I grasp something, I can have two very different meanings. Uh, if, if one of my kids is running by and uh, I reach out and I grasp them, you understand what that means. That I've taken hold of him. That, that, that I've subdued him. That I've got control over him. Maybe he was going to run into the street and I reached out and I grasped the back of his shirt to prevent him from running into the street. But if I say to you, have you grasped that idea? We, we understand what that means. Not that you physically are grasping an idea out of the sky, but do you understand it? Do you comprehend it? Does it make sense to you? Have you gotten your mind wrapped around it? And so the question becomes, what did John mean when he used this word? In the Greek, it's katalambano. And it literally means either to comprehend or to overcome. And as we talked about last week with John's use of other language, I think the ambiguity is very intentional. If John didn't want it to be a little ambiguous, he certainly could have written in more detail. He could have chosen other words to make it clear. But I think that he's being intentional here about how the world interacts with jesus that jesus in him was life not regular life but something different something we'll talk about in a minute and this life became the light for men 
Again, I, I think most of us can understand that we're not talking about a literal light, but something deeper, something more powerful, something that we all need. There was this light. And if there is light, then there's also darkness. And how did this darkness interact with the light? There's this light, something that we need. Not a physical light, something deeper, something bigger. And what happens when the darkness interacts with the light? The darkness can't grasp it. The darkness can't overtake the light. Wherever light goes, it wins. But the darkness also can't understand the light. If you start to think about it in terms of people, uh, total darkness would be blindness. And blind can't understand what can be seen. Can't understand the light. So I think John is starting to build a case for us about how Jesus' interaction with the world is going to start to play out. Now, let's, let's keep moving. So we're going to jump down to verse 9. And the true light. So he's still, still wanting to carry on with us this idea of light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So there's a couple things that I think are important to notice here. Uh, first of all, uh, the true light was coming into the world. So that's a past tense, sort of a uh, past tense, ongoing interaction, ongoing result verb there. Think about it. Was coming into the world, meaning he hadn't yet come. So what is he trying to say about Jesus? That he was the light even before he arrived. And then John's going to go on to talk about when he arrives, but, but the true light was coming into the world, was about to come into the world. And so the way that we interact with Jesus has to do with who he is, not just what he's done. So many times when we think about Jesus, we think about what he's done. He came to the earth. He lived a great life. He taught some good things. He died on the cross. But our interaction with Jesus isn't just about what He's done, but who He is. Who He was before He ever came. That He was the true light before He ever made His way here. And, and John makes this interesting statement. The true light which enlightens everyone. Now, on, at first thought, at first glance, it might be tempting to think that Jesus comes and enlightens everyone. That because He came, everyone can see uh, that darkness is no longer a battle we have to face. And as we continue to read John, and as he builds his case for Jesus, I think we can clearly see that while it may be an option for you to be enlightened, enlightenment has not been given to everyone. And so here's what I think John means here, and 
hopefully this resonates and you can test this. And anytime I say something from stage, you're not supposed to just be like, well, the pastor said it, so that has to be true. And that's, that's just how it is. I mean, I, I would, never mind. Uh, so you're, you should question and think on the things that we talk about as we look at the text and start to divide it up. So I want you to think about it. And as we begin to walk through the Gospel of John, test it and see if you think this is what John means here. Uh, I think what John means here is that Jesus enlightens everyone who's going to receive him. And this is a case that we'll build. Uh, Let me give it this way. And here's what I don't want to do. This is the only example I could think of, but it's so politically uh, charged that I have to be careful. All right, so here's what we're not do. We're not doing. We are not having a debate about vaccinations versus no vaccinations. We are not having that debate. You can go home and have that debate. Um, everybody feels differently about it. Doesn't matter. We're not talking about that. But I'm going to use an example here um, on, on vaccinations. And and your doctor might say the polio vaccine works for everyone. Now, does he literally mean that just because the polio vaccine has been created that everyone is now immune? No, what he means when he says that is everyone who takes it, it works for. So when he says the polio vaccine works for everyone, he means those who take it, those who, uh, who embrace it, who are willing to receive it, those are the ones who it works for. It doesn't just because it exists work for everyone. And I think that's the case that John's making here, that Jesus, the true light, enlightens everyone. And he's going to build a case for why it's so important for us to receive him. Because just because Jesus is and was and has come to this world doesn't mean that we're all on the same page. But rather, for those who receive him and embrace him and believe in him, he enlightens. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So notice, we went from the true light was coming into the world to he was in the world. So now we've made this, this change that Jesus was the true light even before he came. Now he's in the world. The world was made through him. We talked about that last week, yet the world did not know him, which Jesus didn't come and didn't look like what everyone expected him to look like. That he didn't act and talk like everyone expected him to. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So not only did Jesus come as unexpected, but those who were expected to believe in him didn't do it. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all those who did receive him, who believed in his name. So John just gave us a a, a picture there of what it means to receive Jesus and what it means to believe in him. He's now tied those two ideas together. For those who have received him, who believed in his name. Those two are tied together, and and, uh, we're going to come back and visit that in just a minute. And those who are born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
So those who are born, not through natural means or through someone else's desire, but by God, both by the means of God and the desire of God. That God has chosen to reach out to both provide the means and as a part of His decision to move in our lives. So what does this matter? So why, do, why does it matter that John wrote these things? What does it matter that we begin to know and believe in Jesus? And I think John has just introduced some big, big ideas and topics that we're going to continue to talk about, continue to flesh out as we move forward. And the first idea is life. Now, these aren't going to be on the screen. Uh, I don't have like cute worship, I mean, cute uh, sermon, fill in the blank guides. Um, some of you enjoy taking notes on the back of your worship guide is a place where you can do that if you'd like. Um, but I'm just going to make some observations here, and these are going to be observations that we're going to carry with us as we move forward, that, that Jesus came to give us life. Do you remember what the theme verse for this book was, John 20, 30, 31? Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. You may have life in his name. Which means what? Not everyone has life. Which means we're talking about something different than your heart is beating, your lungs are working. No doubt, that's without a doubt a gift from God. We see that in the Bible too. But John's talking about something different here. That by believing that Jesus is who He promised to be, who He said He was, that He has the authority and a power to do what He says He came to accomplish, that by believing you may have life in His name. In another place in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Not ordinary life. Something different. John 3.16, another part of John. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came to bring life. He came to give us something different, something we can't find anywhere else, something that we're all desperately in need of. Jesus came to bring life. And as you can see, that's going to be a regular theme in the Gospel of John. Jesus came to give us sight. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, hasn't grasped it. The darkness is wrestling with Jesus. 
In the darkness, nothing can be seen. But light changes everything. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, heals a blind man. And after he heals this blind man, he has a conversation with this man and with some of the religious leaders, those who should have accepted and believed in Jesus, but because he wasn't what they expected, they they had a, a hard time with him. And listen to this, this conversation that Jesus has right after giving a blind man physical sight. Jesus said to him, this is uh, John chapter 9, starting in verse 37. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. So this blind man's trying to figure out, okay, who am I supposed to believe in? Wh- what? I- I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how my whole life has just changed. I went from being blind since birth to being able to see. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around what's going on right now. And what is the purpose for all this? And he, so this is the blind, formerly blind man, verse 38, said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees, these are those religious leaders, near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Clearly, we're not just talking about physical sight. We'll see, in, as we walk through the Gospel of John, that Jesus brings physical sight to those who are blind. But that there's a, another blindness that has to be dealt with. The man who was born blind was also spiritually blind. Jesus opened his eyes and he could see the physical world. And then as he was talking to Jesus and figured out who he was, the eyes of his heart were opened and he believed and he worshipped. The religious leaders had questions for Jesus. Are we also blind? Clearly, we're not talking about physical blindness. They knew whether or not they were blind physically and jesus said to them if you were blind you'd have no guilt if you couldn't see and perceive things if you didn't have truth standing before you maybe we wouldn't call you guilty but now that you say we see now notice what jesus didn't say jesus didn't accuse these religious leaders of actually having sight what he accused them of was claiming to have sight spiritual sight but now that you say we see your guilt remains you won't acknowledge that you don't know you won't acknowledge that you can't see you won't acknowledge that you need help if you don't know that you need help jesus said to him basically how am i going to come and help you Jesus shared the analogy at one point in his ministry that it's not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick. It's the blind who need their eyes opened. But that begins with recognizing that we're blind, that darkness is around us, that we're having a hard time seeing. And the only solution to that is light. Number three, John wants us to know him. John wants us to know Jesus. I'm going to quote it one more time. I know we've quoted a number of times. John 20, 
30 through 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe, that you may know, some translations say, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 10 of John chapter 1. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Why? Because Jesus wasn't who they expected him to be. Are you allowing your expectations of who God is supposed to be to prevent you from seeing Jesus for who he really is? Are you here today with with preconceived ideas and notions about who Jesus is supposed to be that that all you can do is think about who he's supposed to be and you're going to miss him for who he really is? When the Jews thought of Jesus as being the Christ, they couldn't understand it because in their mind, the Christ, the anointed one, was supposed to come and bring freedom. Freedom from political oppressors. This Messiah was supposed to get get rid of the Roman Empire in their world. He was supposed to come and bring, uh, bring prosperity. Bring joy and happiness. And he was supposed to come and establish a new kingdom for these religious leaders. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. I came to bring freedom, not freedom from the Romans, but freedom from yourself, from the sin that enslaves you. I came to bring you joy. Not joy in yourselves, ultimate joy in me. The world couldn't see him because they were expecting something differently john wants us to receive and believe in jesus i love that john tied these two together because a lot of times i think in the church world we talk about believing in jesus and we give a false understanding or perception of what we mean because for most of us to believe in jesus is to believe he was he existed believe he was a good man Believe he died on the cross and and hopefully most of you believe that he rose from the dead. We believe in facts about who he is. We believe in the facts that people have told us or maybe facts that we've read about in the Bible. To believe is one thing. To receive is quite another. It's not about believing facts about him. It's about believing in who he is. Because to receive him is much different than to just believe in him. Same with generosity. I can say to Nick, I'm like, hey, you know Joe Smith over there? You know, he's a really generous guy. And Mick, Nick may know facts about Joe Smith and his generosity. He gives a lot of money to people. He helps out those in need. Nick believes that this other guy, Joe, is a generous guy. It's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to receive it. You want to believe someone's generous? Be on the receiving end of their generosity. And it changes you. It changes the way you see them and believe in their generosity. You can believe facts about someone, but when you receive the benefit of those, it changes everything. It's not just about believing about Jesus. It's about believing in Him and receiving Him. John wants us to understand that for those who do believe and receive, that we've been adopted 
Now we're not just talking about the identity of Jesus. We're talking about our own identity. This isn't just about someone else. It's now become very personal. Verse 6, or excuse me, number 6, thought 6, idea 6. John wants us to understand what it means to be born again. To be born not by natural methods or the decision of your parents, but to be born by the methods of God, by His decision. Now there's a religious leader that's going to have a really hard time understanding. Jesus, how in the world can you be born born again if you're a grown man? That one doesn't make sense. And in chapter 3, we're going to read a story about a guy named Nicodemus in John who really wrestles with that idea of being born again, and Jesus is going to explain it. And so we're not going to go into a lot of detail today. We'll pick that up uh, in a little while when we get there. But uh, John wants us to understand that believing and receiving in Jesus is also about being born again, having not just life, but new life. And this last idea is that we've been chosen. John uh, 15, 16, Jesus says this, You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you. Not by the will of the flesh or of man, but by God. God chose you. You didn't choose Him. You didn't come crawling to Him, making yourself worthy. God chose you. God chose you to to give you life, to give you sight, to give you a new identity. To change your expectations so that you could know Him. So that you could believe in Him. So that you could receive Him. God did that. No blind man ever opened his own eyes and gave himself sight. Same is true spiritually. That's God's job. God moves. God works. And we get to be on the receiving end of it. And so as we close out today, I want you to think through those ideas are those true of you would you say i see i can see jesus i can see him for who he is i know him as the light in my life i don't just believe facts about him i've received him for who he is that i don't know about him i know him That I've been given a new identity. That I've been born again and adopted as a child of God. That God has redefined who I am. Who others say about me. What my past says about me doesn't matter. God defines who I am. Would you say that I have life? Not regular life. I have it abundantly. I have life-changing, world-altering universe-shattering life that Jesus came to give me. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for our time together this morning and as we reflect on who you are, as we begin to get just a, a sample, an introductory picture of these things that you have come to do and accomplish in our lives and in this world. God, would you help all of us just to be completely honest with ourselves, to reflect on who you are, what you've come to do. God, in these next few moments, would you speak?
speak to our hearts. Continue to move. I'm going to ask everyone to keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed for a moment or two. This time in the service every week is what we refer to as response time. Because it's a time to respond to who God is and what He's doing in your heart and your life. Some of you have believed in Jesus and you've received Him. He's given you life, reasons to celebrate. He's adopted you and and made you born again. You have a new identity in Him. And, And maybe for you, this is a chance to celebrate. You can stand and you can sing. To your left, we have our communion table where you can take a moment to uh, remember what Christ ultimately did as a sacrifice for you on the cross. Just before going to the cross, he had his final meal with his disciples. And he took some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood that's poured out for you you take this remember me and so to celebrate who he is and what he has done we take bread and we take the cup as a worship action as as a worshipful response to who he is and what he's done and we take the bread we take the cup to remind us and so here uh, we always have communion available for you If you want to go and take some of the bread, dip it in the cup, we'd encourage you to make that a part of your worship. There on the table is our offering basket. Because when we give, that's a part of worship too. Maybe you want to sit in your chair and pray. Maybe you want to think on the things that we talked about and really search inside discover who who is Jesus have you believed and have you received this is your opportunity to respond we're going to invite you to do it however God leads you Jesus thank you for who you are thank you for being life for giving us life life abundantly, life eternal. Thank you for opening our eyes to see you for who you really are. The true light that reveals you, that reveals ourselves, that reveals this world as it really is. God, thank you for moving on our behalf, doing what we couldn't do. Jesus, we believe and we receive and want to know. Would you open our hearts for those in this room maybe that have never received you? Would you guide them into receiving you this morning? Thank you. May you be honored by all we say, think, do, sing.